0: Leaving comfort is rough, but God was so enamored with us that he left the comfort of heaven. That's pretty local. We didn't deserve it, but he did it anyway. So God himself took on a fragile body. God of the universe got the flu and the common cold. He sweated and he bled. He took on haters. He was jumped by soldiers. People spat on him and ultimately murdered him. And in that weak, breakable body, Jesus sat with the contagious and the hurting. He listened. He healed them. He encouraged them. He taught them. And that's where he found us. In the sketchy places, you wouldn't take to familia. And rather than call us hopeless, Jesus pulled us out the gutter, placed hands on the addicted, shady, and diseased people. He looked us in the eyes and called us beloved children. This is the incarnation. God incarnate. God in the meat, God on the block, God on the street. And these are the stories of the people he met.
1: Thank you, um, I like that one too. Um, it's good to be here with you guys today. Uh, there have been times that I've looked at pastors and been like, what are they doing with that hanky? And then right now, I'm just baking like a toasted cheese that I've been running around all morning, and I wish I had like a hanky to to wipe myself off. So good thing the front row is not too far in the front, or it would be a splash zone. So um, today's message is called Hands Off. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, some things that in the Jewish culture at Jesus' time would have been taboo. Um, we're going to talk about people who, in the Jewish uh, culture, uh, the predominant Jewish culture, would have also been considered um, persona non grata. And uh, so, this week I-, I had the privilege of going to the hospital to visit a friend, uh, to visit a neighbor who I, I love dearly. And uh, you know, I walked into the room and you know, I just heard her moaning in pain and. Uh, It was hard to see. And uh, it was nice to to hold her hand and to to pray for her and and see her light up just to have a visitor. You know, something about touch. Something about just touching someone's hand. Just says, hey, I'm here with you. I love you. Um, I kind of said to her, I said, hey, you don't need to speak. I know you're in pain. It's all good. I'm just here with you, okay? So you don't have to talk. So about an hour later after she was still talking, I was stoked. But she told me a little bit about what it was like to be born with spina bifida, and um, how she's had to deal with pain and shame basically her entire life, what it's like to be different than everyone else, what it's like to be looked at odd. Um, She told me a story about how her son once came home after spending time with his best friend, uh, asking, Mama, what do I do when other kids say you walk like a robot? What do I do with that? And while she didn't feel pain for herself, she felt pain for her son having to endure the embarrassment of being related to her she told me my whole life I've had to survive with illness her disease was with her when she woke up this morning Um, her disease was with her at parties her disease is with her when she's with friends, when she's going up steps illness nags, doesn't it? it's just always there, it's always waking you up, reminding you, hey I'm still here you're still ill, you're still hurt, you're still in pain you're still suffering in the same way we're gonna talk about a woman today <clears throat> who had begun to lose hope. Matter of fact, it seemed like she had lost all hope because she was reaching out for this crazy, itinerant rabbi named Jesus. And still, <clears throat> in the midst of her re- rejection and the midst of her suffering, uh, she met someone who could heal her. So today we're gonna to be in Mark 5:21 uh, through 43. That's Mark 5:21 through 43. We have Bibles available in the back. And uh, if you have an app, you can get on that. Um, but uh, once again, Mark 5:21 through 43. If you need to check in the con- uh, the if you need to check the front to see where that is, there is no shame in that. Um, sometimes it's just hard to leaf through the Bible and find everything you need. So, Mark 5:21 through 43. With your permission, I'm going to read to you from God's Word. <clears throat> when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, my little daughter is dying. Come, lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. So Jesus went with him and a large crowd was following and pressing against him. Now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, If I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. At once, Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing against you and yet you say who touched me? But he was looking around to see who had done this. The woman, with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. While he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter's dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? When Jesus overheard overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, only believe. He did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James' brother. They came to the leader's house and he saw a commotion. People were weeping and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why are you making such a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, (laughs) but he put them all outside. He took the child's father, mother, and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which is translated little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. At this, they were utterly astounded. Then he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Father, your presence today, um, presence of the God who would lift this child, presence of the God who would uh, help this woman after so much pain. God, that gives us reason to celebrate. The fact that we are small in your presence doesn't cause you to treat us as unimportant, um, but you look to us as more than annoying. You see us as a, a creation that you cherish, you love us with such a joy that we cannot understand, and um, we'll take that. And, and still, though, Lord, there are many who suffer in our city today, many who hunger or thirst, and many who suffer from addiction or mental illness. God, we need miracles today to break the bondage of our sin and our suffering. Would your word, your Holy Spirit, and your church do great things today? Teach us this morning. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today when we go through this story, I'm going to give it to you in reverse order. Um, there have been times that I have learned from other preachers that it's good to kind of go in the opposite order, and, and so we're going to do that today. Um, that doesn't mean I'm going in order of importance. Um, some people may see this woman as the least important part of the story. Um, you might think a resurrection of a girl is the big deal in the story, but either way, I, Jesus is the main point of the story. And so uh, this should be about him and his heart for everyone. And um, basically what I'm going to be giving you is, if you've ever seen the movie Memento, this is what I'm giving you. It's going to go in reverse order to where we get to our uh, finale. So um, going in reverse order from seemingly least important. So today I have three points about Jesus from Mark 5. Um, And our first point is this. Jesus is all-powerful but works on his timetable. Jesus is all-powerful, but works on his timetable. Not, not yours, not mine, nobody else's. And so we see that he took the child's father and mother, and they went upstairs, and um, he said, little girl, I say to you, get up. Now, it's interesting because this is Hebrew here. Like, we're, we're not gonna read, this is a Greek Bible that has Hebrew that everyone would have known in the presence. That it says, um, little girl, I say to you, get up. It can also be translated as young lady, arise. Kind of a beautiful thought that Jesus would, would refer to her in this sweet term. Um, and it says, immediately the girl got up and began to walk. And at this, they were utterly astounded. And I love the idea that he gives her something to eat. Like not only does he heal her, but he gives her sustenance. So we know that death and disease cannot stand up to Jesus. If Jesus says she will rise, she will rise. Now, at first, it almost seems like Jesus is late, though, doesn't it? Like, um, they say, don't bother the rabbi, and he overhears, and he, um, he says, no, 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 it's not too late. Um, theology professor Dwight Hopkins, uh, he summarizes this, uh, quote, slave wisdom when he says, God may not come when you call him, but he'll be right there on time. Amen, amen. But he'll be there right on time. Sorry, let me do it again. God may not come when you call him, but he'll be there right on time. Now, 2 Peter 3.8-10 3, 3, says this, Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay His promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, on that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. And so when we think about what this means, this doesn't just mean um, that, that he's going to save this girl in his time. I'm taking a verse, and I'm taking it out of context for you guys, because it's a reminder of the way God works. Um, are you waiting for God to show up in your life right now? Are you hoping that he will intervene? But does it seem too big Is it too big to ask, too grand, too crazy? But friends, I tell you, he can do great things, but his timing may not reflect what you think you need. Trust him as you wait, friends. Trust him as you wait. And I'll tell you, I could say this from up here, but when I'm sitting with you and we're going through stuff, you're probably not going to hear it from me because sometimes it seems insincere, doesn't it? When someone's going through something really rough and we go, just trust God, right? Just trust him. And you go like, you know what? Just shh. I, I just need you to put your arm around me right now, Okay? But I will say, from up front, I can say to you, we can trust him to be good to his promise. I'm convinced that God is a gardener. In the beginning, he created a garden. He walks in the cool of the garden in the Bible. I love that image of God himself walking in the cool of the garden. Even Jesus was betrayed in the garden. Jesus tells so many parables using the garden. Now, part of that was to speak to farmers. And so while I'm not speaking to farmers today, I hope some of you guys have seen uh, your backyard gardens or some of you have seen the garden on Market Street. Um, But every year we have this guava tree. One guava tree that I have learned not to water. Because no matter what we do, it's going to go crazy, so I'm not going to water it anyway. And my wife hates the smell of the guavas, and so I'm picking up, and I'm making guava water, bringing it to the parents, making guava water for myself. And I know it's sinful that she does not like the smell of guava. Um, That's like the best amen I got so far. You guys are going to have to step up your game a little bit later, because that's already set the bar. My wife is sinful because she doesn't like guavas. Um, But our tree goes mad. And I'll tell you that Um, they get green and hard um, before they get yellow and soft and tasty. Now, we all know it's common sense. We don't pick the guava before it's ready. We don't pick a green orange, right? Nobody goes and grabs a pumpkin that's green and starts to carve it and make a jack-o-lantern out of it because it'd be too hard, too dense. The, The fruit would be too sour. But we never say like, oh, well, it should be ready now. Like, a green one is fine. You know what? I have time for a green guava, so we're going to eat the green guava. No, we just say it has to be in its time. In the same way, I think we have to look to God and say, God's timing is God's timing. That the fruit in our lives of God's love will be ripe when it is to be ripe, and not when we want it. But friends, I want a good orange right now. (laughs) And so, in the same way, I have to learn to be patient and trust that He is good and He loves us. It takes time, and God, who is wiser than I and probably has a reason for taking his time in your life. It's not fun to wait, is it? It's not easy, but he wants to bring you to a full maturity of faith. He doesn't want you sour, friends. I wonder if this little girl has actually been sick for longer than just the moment she died. Have you had to endure sickness with someone you love? Oftentimes, it's not something that comes immediately and then they're gone. It's something that happens for a very long time, and you have to suffer and watch the person you love most suffer through illness. It's hard to watch, is it not? I feel like all of us in this room have been affected by illness. My father, it was Parkinson's disease, and it took about 12 years in his life when he uh, was diagnosed with Parkinson's as he went downhill slowly, and I watched someone I cared for and loved um, slowly die. In the same way, I'm going to say to you that I'm going to assume that maybe this girl was sick for a long time, and maybe that this illness had stayed with her, and perhaps Jairus, her father, who was a bigwig in the temple, had prayed over her. Perhaps he had consulted doctors as well, and still she was not healed. What did it take for Jairus, someone who would not have most likely recognized Jesus' ministry, to fall at his feet? to beg Jesus for healing for his daughter. what well, would take need. And this need, uh, this fruit of uh, need had to bear itself over time for Jairus to humble himself and be willing to go to Jesus. I'm convinced that many of us need the same thing, time. So the question though is then why would Jesus have waited to heal her? He's God, right? Why would the father not have just healed her when she was born? I believe the ultimate answer that this was the way to bring God the most glory. But even still, as an aside, I bet you her dad tried everything else first. I bet you he did. If he's a loving dad, I bet he did. Like, the thing is though, like Jesus didn't respond though, like he was angry. Jesus didn't say to to Jairus, Hey Jairus, hey man, it's cool that you want me now, but it's a little too late. You could have sought me a long time ago. You don't have to wait till your daughter is on her deathbed. It's kind of like, you know, a girl asks everybody else to the prom and everybody says no. And then she goes to you and you say, oh, yeah, no, I'm not going with you, dude. You asked everybody else. I don't want to go to the prom with I was your last choice. In the same way, though, God doesn't respond that way, does he? He says, absolutely. Let's go right now. That's what Jesus does. He says, let's go right now. If he tried everything before Jesus, isn't it cool that Jesus didn't reject him? He just did a more grand miracle. And so the text says the mourners were utterly astonished. But just a few minutes earlier, it was clear to the disciples, the mourners, Jairus, that Jesus, the only hope, had waited too long. The sweet 12-year-old girl was gone, which is why upon her healing, though, the people were, quote, completely astonished. In other words, they did not expect this, right? Jesus knew what would happen with this little girl. In fact, for him, it had already happened. But even though he knew he would raise a girl from the dead, there was mocking. They were laughing at him. They were judging him. And that's my second point. Expect Jesus to be mocked. Expect Jesus to be mocked. Our point, our second point, there it is. They came to the leader's house and they saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, but he put them all outside. Now this laughing thing, like this is in a few different Bible stories. Like why would people like be at a funeral and laugh? Like do you find that odd? Does anybody else find it odd that they're at a funeral and they start laughing? Well, there's a reason for this. Um, I'll get to that in a second. There are Peter, James, and John, as Jesus ignores everybody else, And he claims something ridiculous. If you're one of the disciples, no matter how much you respect Jesus, there has to be like like a little point where you start to like back away, you know, just kind of like towards the door, you know, just like, oh, oh, like this is kind of embarrassing right now. Like Jesus is saying she's gonna live again, that she's only sleeping. Like I I can imagine one of, you know, well, uh, the master's in over his head. It's gonna be a little embarrassing. I wish that I just stayed back. Uh, why, why should we have to be embarrassed with him? Why didn't he just come by himself and just, just do all this weird stuff by himself? Like, Peter, let's go grab a smoke out back. I, I, let's go talk about something else. Like, Jesus can sort this out. Let's go. Because, like, I can imagine being there. It's got to feel so awkward, right? Like, you're, at, you're in a place where a, a, a child has just died, and people are wailing, and they would have been wailing loudly, friends. It would have been loud. It would have been heard throughout the neighborhood. And here is Jesus saying, Mm, no, she's Okay. Like, that's awkward. Like, I know we read it through the lens of, oh, we know she was healed. But in that moment, can you imagine what that felt like? To have the person who is supposedly your master say, nah, she's fine. She's, she's, she's asleep. She's asleep. Okay, so they laughed at Jesus. People laughing at him could have been the other religious leaders, friends of Jairus, who would have probably already thought Jesus was weird. Um, but there was another group, the professional mourners, So uh, when we understand this time, we have to understand that there were professional mourners, okay? Um, There was a guild for mourners in Israel. So like they even had like a group that met and made sure they got paid enough, okay? Um, Second century rabbi Judah, he said this. He says, even the poorest person in Israel should hire at least two flute players and one wailing woman. So there was an expectation that you were going to hire people to come in And play the flute. Now, the flute in ancient Israel was the sound of death to people. If you heard a flute, you knew someone had died nearby. And you have to imagine that people died much earlier than they do now, right? Like they may have had some kind of paleo diet, but it did not work out for them in the same way as us. They didn't have doctors at the same level, and they didn't have uh, the same kind of food that we have. And so people were dying constantly. And so the sound of a flute would be a sound that you would dread. You would hear, you would not know is that an infectious disease nearby? Someone's died. Now, what's interesting about these, uh, these professional mourners is there's a few things. One, the professional mourners are the reason we hear laughter in the Bible. Whenever there's someone who's dying and people are wailing, this is the same thing happened to Lazarus friends. They start laughing. Why do they start laughing? Because they're not really mourning, because they're hired guns there to yell. And so they have this idea that, uh, this is my job. And so clearly they're not taking it seriously enough because they'll laugh. (laughs) How disrespectful is that? So um, theologian James Edwards says this. He says the professional mourners represent the hardcore realists of every age who decide when empirical realities have foreclosed on divine possibilities. What he is saying is, is these professional mourners, they were the realists, right? They were the people who knew like, hey, when someone's dead, they're dead, okay? Like don't, don't try and like sugarcoat this. She's dead. That is what our society would say about lots of things, right? But Jesus claims she's only sleeping. Now, some have thought that Jesus was speaking literally, but uh, even a coma would be much clearer than someone dying. Now, if you've ever been around someone you love that has passed away, it is, there's a very clear moment when they're gone. You know that they're no longer there. It's so clear. There's no doubting it. And so there would have been this moment when it was like, that little girl is no longer here. And the mourners, who see dead people all the time, right, because that's their job, would have said, Jesus, you are crazy. She's clearly dead. No coma. Now, of course, Jesus was speaking figuratively, right? The mourners were right. She was dead. Still, he was making a major theological point, I think, that she would rise again. Even today, we believe the dead will rise again, and we call them asleep. And those who embrace the gospel, they will be embraced by Jesus. But for some of you, there are people who have told you already that you are too far gone, that you are too far dead. And I say to you, friends, that if Jesus can heal a dead child, Jesus can resurrect your life. People will tell you, fool, you are dead. You are too awful. You have done the worst things. You are in too deep. You are too far from God. And I bet the one who says it the most to you is you. Sometimes that inner critic just tells us, man, you're not good enough for Jesus. You're not good enough. Don't spend time with the church. Don't spend time around church people. They're going to find you out. And I tell you, yeah, we're going to find you out, and you're going to find us out, and it's not going to look any better. The thing is, is like you may consider yourselves at times the worst person in the room. And I just tell you, if you knew all of us, if you knew all of us, you would know you are in good company, friends. And this is why we have the beauty of this gospel. Because the one who is obeyed by the wind and the waves, who yells silence to the wind and waves, the one who tells this child, get up, he is more powerful than your sin. He's more powerful than your death. He is more powerful than anything that would hope to enslave you. And that is the gospel. We owed God this great debt, this great debt that we could never repay. None of us could repay the debt that we owed God, and willingly he left the comfort of heaven so that you might be redeemed. Jesus came to this earth, and he clothed himself in flesh. You know, we say it, God in the carne, right? God in the meat. That's a terrible accent, friends, but we know that God came and was present for us because he loved us, and I repeat this every week. You know why? Because I want you to repeat it to your friends. I want you to repeat it to the people who love you, I want you to repeat it to the people you love. I want you to repeat it to the people who need Jesus. And you know what? Those are the people around you. That Jesus came to this earth, lived a perfect life on your behalf, died as a sacrifice on the cross, and was resurrected. And when he was resurrected, he proved to sin and death, your sin and death, my sin and death, that he was their conqueror. And so that anytime someone would point the finger at you and say, You are not good enough. You are too dead. You are too gone. You are too addicted. You are too ill. Jesus says, no. Jesus says, no. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 14 says this, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe Jesus died and rose again in the same way, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And friends, this is what I say at every funeral. I love doing funerals. I don't don't really like doing weddings so much. Like, there's just like a whole lot involved in there, but funerals, we get to come together and say, This person rests on the bosom of Jesus. Is this not good news? We do not grieve like those who have no hope. We have a joy secure in us that is only found in Jesus. Friends, wherever you go, there are going to be haters. I've heard everything about why Christianity is false. Many of those things came out of my mouth before I was a believer. They're thieves who pretend to be pastors, right? Those awful guys who would love to just build their stature up, build their finances up, and use the sheep of the church to build that. That's a good reason not to love Jesus, right? No, because they are not followers of Jesus, and he is bigger than that. I've heard that Jesus didn't really exist historically. And friends, I've seen more documents about Jesus than anything else. There were more people who viewed Jesus than anything else. There's more confirmation about Jesus than anything we have from Homer. And yet, oh, Jesus didn't really exist. Or how about the Bible contradicts itself? We hear these things and we think... Oh, this cannot be redeemable, can it? And yet I say to you, the more you study the word of God, the more you find confirmation that it is good and it's true and it's from God. And the last one is this God didn't save me when I needed him most. God didn't save me when I needed him most. And friends, I think when we say things like that, we have a very short term view of who God is. And I'm going to say something hard, just for a moment. Our suffering in this age will not compare to the joy that we have to receive in Jesus. And that's really hard because you know what? There are people who suffer more than me. There are people who have suffered more than me. I have friends who are in Haiti that have suffered through all kinds of things, from starvation to thirst to even having friends and relatives murdered for just a few coins. And it's hard for me to go to them and say, your suffering will not compare to what you have to look forward to. And still, and still, They say it. They say that their suffering cannot compare to what Jesus offers them because it's true and there is hope and that hope can only be found in Jesus. The same God who cares for you and in this case, the woman on the way, he shows that there is no one off limits to his love. So my final point is this, Jesus has time. Jesus has time. That is good news. In verse 25, it says, Now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years, and let me stop right there. Did you notice that the woman had suffered for 12 years and that the young lady was 12 years old? 12 in the Bible. I don't really get into this numerology thing. There's a lot of people that will tell you every single number that means everything in the Bible, and I don't really know about all that because like, the Bible doesn't always tell us. But uh, people believe the number 12 to be the number of a perfect government. Think about the 12 disciples. Um, Also, Jesus was 12 when he entered into the temple for the first time. But there is something to be said about the fact that this young lady is 12, and this other woman has suffered for 12 years. It's almost like maybe they're equal in God's eyes. Maybe even a a death uh, who needs a resurrection and a, a, a woman who's just bled for 12 years. Like God sees them in the same way, and he has time for both of them. I'm not going to say any more about that. Just thought it was interesting. Let me continue. In verse 26, uh, she had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, If I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. At once, Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and he said, Who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, really? You see the crowd pressing against you, and yet you say, who touched me? I can imagine their indignation, right? Like, Jesus. (laughs) Jesus, you're surrounded by people. What do you mean, who touched me? Everyone touched you right now. But he was looking around to see who had done this. The woman with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. Now, a few things about this woman. Most likely, she would have had what we would call a menstrual hemorrhage. Um, yeah, church gets awkward, right? Let's do this. So, of course, I went online, and I looked on a health website that said the treatment for this condition, and it was estrogen and progesterone, or a combination of the two female hormones in the form of birth control pills. Okay, what is this, an invention of like 50 years ago? So that was, the, that was how you treat that, and uh, that was not available. What she did have is doctors that said she had endured much under many doctors. Now, the term here for endured in biblical Greek is the word paso. And it's actually more like paso, um, which can also mean suffered. And when put in the context of a medical illness, it can mean suffered. Okay? And then the Greek word for under is hupa, which can translate to at the hands of. So you could translate this in a little bit different way, and I'd like to for you, and it's this. She had suffered at the hands of many doctors. She had suffered at the hands of many doctors. Now let's think about what type of illness this is. It's a very personal, private, embarrassing illness that would have made her not clean in the community. And when I mean clean, I mean ceremonially clean. She would have not been welcome in town. Imagine what it could mean to suffer at the hands of many doctors. Now, Greek doctors in Jesus' time were just beginning to do legitimate medicine, but Roman doctors had not caught up, okay? Anyone, who could, anyone could pronounce themselves a doctor without any training. If people kept dying, they lost their business. So that was pretty much how you knew someone was a doctor. Like, hey, there's some people that went to him, so I guess I'll go to him too. So they would um, lose business if they killed people, And they would stay in business if they had not killed people. That was your choice of doctors in Rome. So, great. The guy who is now working at the Horns Julius, do not go to him for doctor work. The guy who's still a doctor, we could try him. Because he's gotten lucky so far. First century poet Marcus Valerius Martellius, he wrote comedic poetry. And he wrote poetry about doctors of the time. And uh, I'm just going to read you a couple of little snippets of what he said about doctors. He said, until recently, Dialis was a doctor. Now he is an undertaker. He is still doing, he's still doing as an undertaker what he used to do as a doctor. Another poem he wrote was, you are now a gladiator, although until recently you were an ophthalmologist. You did the same thing as a doctor that you now do as a gladiator. The thing was is that doctors were made fun of in the time. Doctors were teased because doctors were actually considered to be snake oil salesmen. These are the people treating this woman, charlatans, drifters, quacks, former Greek slaves that were trying to make it in the Roman Empire would become doctors. Well, they came from Greece, so there's some good doctors in Greece, so maybe these guys can do something for us too. That is who she was going to for a very personal, very private, very painful thing she was going through. Not only had she spent all her money on doctors and probably felt violated by them, she got worse. Also, this woman was not supposed to be around a crowd. She probably wasn't supposed to be in the city. She wasn't supposed to touch men. And for sure, she wasn't supposed to touch a rabbi like Jesus. So, you know, she's kind of taking a risk here, right? Let me read to you from Leviticus 15.25. These are the rules. When a woman had a discharge of her blood for many days, though it was not the time of her menstruation, or if she had a discharge beyond her period, she will be unclean all the days of her unclean discharge, as she is during the days of her menstruation. This is church, y'all. I know, it's like, but this is in the Bible, so I got I to gotta do it. Um, <laughs> she was not legally allowed in the city. She was not allowed to be there. She was not allowed to approach Jesus. She was not a, allowed to be around a crowd of people for sure. In the ancient world, disease prevention and protocol demanded that she stay outside the city so as not to pass on a disease to anyone else. Being in the city would have been a big sin. In verse 33, though, it says, the woman with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Why did she have fear and trembling? She knows she wasn't supposed to be there. But she had tried everything else, and she was desperate. And so once again, we have to ask, though, Why did Jesus have to wait until then? Why did he have to wait so long? Why did Jesus seem to care about this woman when someone else was dying? That's another good question. The answer is love. That he had love for this woman. That he had compassion. That he had empathy. That he had care for this woman. And that this was for God's glory. And this particular healing gave God's glory. And both were on display in his healing. Now, um... Between the age of like 15 and uh, about 24, um, I had a really bad bout with canker sores. Um, I don't know if anybody else has had canker sores before, but um, I read like medical journals on how to get rid of them because you guys know that um, when I wasn't in my punk band, I was in worship bands and I was singing and my job was, was music. And I was in serious pain many times. I would wake up and my, my tongue would be covered in canker sores. It's gross. You know, we're just staying with the, the theme of grossness. Um, my, my tongue would be covered. My cheeks would be covered in canker sores. And I would barely be able to talk, especially in the morning. And I would go to doctors. And uh, I even had one doctor who's like, he made fun of me. He's like, everybody gets canker sores. What are you doing in my office? What are you doing here? Everybody gets them. I'm like, really, dude? I, I can't talk to you. You know, no, doesn't matter. Everybody gets them. I had one doctor tell me, don't eat chips. Great. Okay, cool. Um, I had one doctor tell me, you know, just do salt water rinses three times a day. You'll be fine. Uh, I read online that you should smoke a cigar because it it will actually cause your, uh, uh, it'll like bring in so much like bad stuff that you're like, (laughs) that your body will seal up to like not allow the toxins inside your body. Um, I did not do that. Um, it got s- so bad, friends, that I actually had to go into a specialist um, who thought that I could perhaps have cancer in my mouth. And they had to take a biopsy of my tongue, which um, is very painful. And I feel like I suffered at the hands of doctors. Changed my toothpaste many times. I learned that sodium lauryl sulfide is something that does not help my mouth. And I used to gargle with hydrogen peroxide. But I knew what it was like to suffer at the hands of doctors for years. And I went to doctor and doctor and doctor. And some of us in this room have had ailments where you go over and over and over and over again. And you just feel like, when is this going to end? It was painful, and it was frustrating. And I can only imagine what it would have been like if because of these wounds, people would have said, you are not allowed to spend time with the people you love anymore. You're not allowed to talk to anybody. You need to get away. You know what? You're too close to me. Like, get outside the town, be alone. And, and she'd spent all her money. This was the desperation this woman was in. And Jesus could have seen her as a speed bump. Rightly so, right? I mean, have any of you guys taken any, um, any courses in... Um, Uh, In ethics. I mean, sometimes you'll consider like you have to like weigh options, right? Like this person is more sick than this person. Uh, You have to kind of do a triage of who's in need. And Jesus didn't. Jesus Jesus stayed with her. Like not only did he see her healing as important, but he saw her recognizing her as important because she just got healed by her own self. And then he could have moved on, but instead he stayed. He said, child, your faith has made you well. What, What kind of love is that? that Jesus didn't look at her like the doctors did. They didn't see her as a means to an end. They didn't see her as a paycheck. Jesus saw her as his beloved child who was worthy to be healed. She was not a speed bump. The religious leaders of the day would have said to Jesus, she is illegal and does not deserve your time and attention, but we know that Jesus values every person. Sometimes when I go out to pray for people on the block, I think, Man, I've stopped at that house so many times. And I've, and I've offered prayer for that person so many times. And, and all they really want to do is just uh, make fun of me or you know, whatever it is. And, and, and there's always that, that feeling in me where it's like, you know what? I'm going to go to some place where there's true fruit. And yet, I'll stop and, and I'll talk and I'll ask, how can I pray for you today? And even, even last week, someone that I had felt like, man, over and over and over again, I had offered prayer. And, th- and that day, they wanted prayer. And that day, they wanted me to open the Bible for them. I could have very easily overlooked them. But that day, I'm glad I didn't. If you are someone who feels more worthy than others, on the other hand, maybe that you deserve something from Jesus, I would caution you. Perhaps you have more money than others. Maybe you have better theology than others. Maybe you manage your money better than others. Maybe you feel entitled as an American and believe you have everything you have because you deserve it. You do not deserve it. I'm glad you weren't there when Jesus healed this woman, if this is your attitude you would have shooed this woman away. You would have said, she doesn't deserve to be with Jesus. She's not even supposed to be here. If that's your attitude about others who might suffer, who might sin differently than you, I say to you, repent. I say the God of the Bible constantly fights for the suffering, the hurting, and the oppressed. And I tell you to look around our city and wherever you see pain and suffering and hurting, that is where you will see Jesus. Two people that the religious people would not have touched were healed by Jesus in this this story. You were not to touch a dead person, and you were not to touch a woman in this predicament. And still, Jesus healed them. He healed someone from something drastic in a, a resurrection and someone who was seemingly insignificant. Not only were you not to touch a woman with a hemorrhage, you were not to touch a dead body. And Jesus willingly, easily did both. Chances are, wherever you are, you may think God cannot or will not take care of your struggle. It's either too big to handle, or it's too small for him. Or maybe you've just screwed up too many times. And I tell you, that's not how our God works. City life, there's a commonality between these two intertwined stories. This woman was desperate. She no longer clung to her pride. She was at the end of her rope, exactly where she needed to be. She took a risk. She shouldn't have been in town. She shouldn't have been in the city gates, and she shouldn't have been touching a man. No, but she laid down her pride at the feet of Jesus, and she found healing. On the other hand, Jairus, the religious leader, like he didn't need Jesus. He's the religious leader. He's influential. He's proud. He's probably got like an entourage. But he looked up to Jesus when his child fell ill. He was willing to reach out to the crazy rabbi who was known for walking the streets with a bunch of weirdo followers. On the other end, you have this girl and this girl, and both were beloved child of God. There's no struggle too insignificant for Jesus and no person ever too far gone for him. There's no person ever too far gone for him. There's no person ever too far gone for Jesus. Where are you, friends? Are you at the bottom of the barrel in life? Are you influential and sought after? Regardless, humble yourself and seek Jesus. Don't be too proud for him. Lay down your life at his feet and say to him, I've tried every other way. And now you will embarrass yourself by saying, maybe you don't have the best plan, and that is a good place to be. Embrace God's plan for your life. I promise you it's good. Maybe this also means you need help from the church. You may need us praying for you, encouraging you or something else. And I said, don't be too proud because all of us have been at that place. Friends, I've had children in the hospital where people gave us gift cards to just get there. where We had to drive three and a half hours and uh, we were just getting gas cards just to get there because we were just so overwhelmed at the time. We're going back and forth almost daily. Everybody needs help. I stand here as someone who has been blessed. People have brought me meals. People have given me food. People will give me what I need. And so if that's you, do not be too proud to ask for help. Either way, Jesus is always available. He doesn't take crap from the mockers who might laugh at him, and he always has time for the hurting. What a good God we worship. Would you join me in praying? God, uh, no matter what doubts we have, Would you reign over our lives? God, we trust in your timing and your love, Um, but the times when we don't trust you, would you help us to trust? We trust that you conquered our sin and our death, but we still need you to remind us daily. We need your help in being faithful. We need your help to follow you. In this moment of silence now, we will confess our sins to our God, who is good and fair and loving. God, we thank you that you would forgive us. You would forgive us who have done so many things against you. You would forgive us who sought after so many other things. God, we thought we had this and then we surrendered our lives to you and I I know many times we still think we have this again. And God, we just ask that you would remind us, God, that we are not too small for you, that our little problems are not too small for you either. And God, that you can conquer sin and death so there's nothing that you cannot handle. God, we thank you that you forgive us when we seek you and that you love us. We pray this all.